podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Cloud nine. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because there is only one place to start this podcast, and that is with the tragic news that Bournemouth have made a decision to sack Scotty Two Coats after only four games in a Premier League season, a season that he is responsible for because he is the one who led them back to the promised land last season, taking them from the championship into the Premier League. It obviously hasn't started well, but they did beat Villa and then probably weren't expecting anything from City, Arsenal or Liverpool. And I think he actually went as far as to say as much after the City game that these were the type of games they weren't expecting any points from. But I suppose when you lose 9-0, that does change the perspective of the owners and things like that. I don't believe for a minute that it's anything to do with the results, to be honest. I think it's very much to do with his post-match comments and his uh, continual statements that the squad isn't good enough to be in the Premier League. I think if you have a look at the little um, two-line statement that they put out alongside the uh, announcement of his sacking, it's you know very much about people have to be aligned and people have to be respectful and all that kind of stuff. And I think after maybe the either the Man City or the Arsenal game, because he said the same sort of comments after both of them, uh, about needing more players, about the group not being good enough, about you know, needing more investment in the team and everything else. I suspect he was told, shut up. You've, you've had the signings that you wanted. We've made what we can. We've invested as much as we told you, something like that. And I've basically told him to stop publicly announcing that the club haven't been doing enough. And so when he's done exactly the same after Liverpool, that's him. I don't believe for one minute is to do with the results. They're in Bournemouth right now, a 17th. That is what they are aiming for this season. They are... Yeah on par, right at this moment in time. So I don't for a minute believe it was anything to do with the 9-0. No, that is a fair point. That is a very fair point. And I think you are probably right that the the comments about the playing staff has probably annoyed um, the owners because at the end of the day, like they're the ones footing the bill for this squad. They're the ones who have put this squad together, they're paying the wages, many of whom were signed by Scott Parker uh, at his request. And their viewpoint might be, like, if we carry on as things stand, it might be a case of the players start to revolt a little bit. The players are not going to be happy hearing their manager say, this lot aren't good enough. Uh, on the plus side for Scott Parker, at least he can now 
pursue his real passion in life, which is obviously cardigans. Um, and sure, look, if things go really bad for me, he can probably sell off the collection of cardigans. He was wearing £4,000 worth of cardigans at Anfield at the weekend, arrived in a black one, changed into a grey one. They're two grand each. Carl, do you own four grand's worth of cardigans? I'm not sure I own four cardigans, to be honest. Never mind how much they cost each. Yeah, I mean, we're clearly going wrong in life. We're not spending our money the correct way. Uh, He leaves Bournemouth with a record of 28 wins, 14 draws, and 13 defeats in 55 games. Um, It's a a significant improvement on his win percentage at Fulham, but we won't give him too much credit. Most of them games came in the championship. Um, Right, let's move on then. And speaking of former Bournemouth managers... Liverpool play Eddie Howe and Newcastle this week on Wednesday night at Anfield under the lights. The tune comes south, having made a good start to the season. They are one of the unbeaten teams in the Premier League, but they have only won one game. They won the first game at home to Nottingham Forest, and since then it has been three consecutive draws. A nil-nil draw with Brighton, where, to be honest, they were quite lucky to get anything from the game because Brighton outplayed them. Then a 3-3 with Newcastle, which was probably the best game of the season so far in the Premier League. And for, I would say, 40 minutes of that game, they absolutely tortured Manchester City with Almiron and St. Maximum wide, just carrying the ball, running at them. The support from Willock and Jolington as the number eights who just continually got themselves in the box. The presence of Callum Wilson as a line-leading number nine, and then Bruno Gimerich as that six, just dictating play and running the game. For about 40 minutes, they were absolutely incredible and caused City so many problems every single time they got the ball. But obviously, the cream rose to the top. Kevin De Bruyne took over the game for five minutes, got City level, and created a big chance that Erling Haaland should have scored. And then this weekend gone, they drew 1-1 with Wolves, a game that they got countered quite frequently themselves. And I thought they looked a little bit susceptible to pace on the counter, which is not surprising when Trippier and Burnley are fullbacks. But they got out of there with a 1-1 draw, uh, which overall in the balance of play was likely a fair result. So what have you made of Newcastle so far this season? I should point out they also beat Tranmere in the EFL Cup second round. Uh, But that has proven costly because Bruno Gomerich got injured, and uh, he will now miss this game at the weekend. Yeah, I think it's um, been really interesting actually watching Newcastle so far. I think the development has pretty much continued in the same line as we were seeing in the second half of last season, um, where they did do well, they did really well uh, to get as say as cohesive as they were playing by the end of the season. I think obviously in the in the initial 
games, even after they'd signed one or two players, it was still a bit of a grind for them. It was still a bit about results over anything because of where they were. But as soon as they got a couple of victories in a row, they were clear. Like they were already done. They were they were playing much better. They had managed to find a bit more solidity in midfield, which I think was a really important thing for them last year. Moving Drillington back into that role has been a masterstroke, let's be honest. Um, it's like watching a different player, basically. I think he now looks like a, a player worth the amount or nearly worth the amount that they paid for him, even though it's not <laughs> what they bought him for, obviously. Um, there are definite parts of this team which are still not... Uh, as good as the rest, it's it's a little bit of a mismatch now. You can see that you know when Gimaris is playing really well, and some Maximans had a, I think two and a half really good games so far this season. Uh, you can see that a few of the players are quite clearly a level above one or two of the others, uh, and there is going to be that little bit of disconnect at the moment when you know it's a big regeneration of the squad. Um, you would expect that over the next maybe two transfer windows, they might bring in like one really big player again, one really good signer like uh, Gimalish it is, who is a, a level above again. But I think most of the rest of the recruitment should probably be focused on upping the overall squad level so that when you've got a couple of injuries, you're not anymore bringing in people like, well, Chris Wood, to be honest, who was one of their signings and is just not a fit for this team at all. Um I don't really know how much he's going to play now this season, to be perfectly honest, because he was a big signing only, what, six, seven months ago in terms of money. Um, but he's already second choice behind Wilson when he's fit. They've now brought in Isak as well, who I assume is going to play maybe from the sides most of the time to start with when Wilson is fit. But Wilson's not fit very often, so he'll get a lot of games at centre-forward, which again leaves Wood on the bench. So... There are parts of this team that I really like. I think the team building is is one of the more fascinating ones in the Premier League at the moment in terms of how they intend to to get better and how long they're prepared to take to get there. I really like the partnership of Shah and Botman at the back this season so far, as long as they are not getting turned around. Because when they do, I think Botman is... You can see that he lacks a little bit of agility at times. He's absolutely thunderous when he's running straight at you. But if you do get him on the turn, it's difficult for him to get back. Uh, Nick Pope, brilliant. I think he's been probably one of their top players so far this season in terms of his positional work, in terms of being quite a bit higher upfield than he was presumably allowed to be when he was at Burnley. Uh, and like I say, in attack, Almiron's playing a bit better. So Maximan has had two outstanding games and then a bit of a really good game against Wolves, but not for the whole match. Um, but injuries have pretty much hit them quite hard uh, early on this season. I think Emil Kraft is out long term now. Shelby's obviously out, Wilson's out, so Maximan's probably going to be out, and Trippier is uncertain at the moment because he did finish the game against Wolves in the end, uh, but didn't look too comfortable. Yeah, I like what, what you've said about the, the way they've sort of built their squad as well, and they are clearly doing it sort of in stages, but what they've put together now in terms of Botman, Gimerish, and Isak as a potential long-term spine I, I do think that's something you probably could build uh, a title contending team around. They went out in January after the Saudis took over. They bring in Trippier, Wood, Gamerish, and Byrne. That's 83 million spent. They bring in Matt Target on loan at the, at the same time. And obviously they went in that great run uh, in the second half of last season. I think at one point they were second only to us 
in terms of the number of points they picked up from January 1st to whatever. I think it was when we beat them uh, at the end of April. They picked up the second most points in the league, which is a really impressive, a really impressive effort. And they obviously finished the league uh, in form, beating Arsenal and then beating Burnley. Come ahead to this summer, and they keep Matt Target. Now, at the moment, he's the backup left back behind Dan Byrne, but you know that's not a bad situation for them to have for now, for the level that they're at. Nick Pope, like you said, has been a really good addition. Um, Botman looks otherworldly once the game's in front of him. But as I said, he is a little bit slow on the turn and he does lack a bit of agility. The partnership with Shar has worked fairly well, but I think for them to move to the next stage, Shar is one of the first ones they'll have to upgrade on. And then the big money went on it's like 63 million pounds now let's talk about him for a minute carl they've as you said they they have callum wilson who is a good player but he is regularly injured he is their nabby kata if you want to look at it like that like he he performs well when he's in the team but he is regularly injured which means that this New signing um, Alexander Isak is going to have to play a lot early. Now, he's had quite a unique career. He began with AIK in Sweden, made his debut way back in 2016 um, as a 16, kind of pushing 17-year-old. Scores 13 goals in 29 games, moves to Borussia Dortmund. It just doesn't work from there at all. He only plays 12 games in the two seasons he spends there. He scores one goal. Sorry, 13 games. He scores one goal. He goes to Willem Tway on loan. Former start-off point for Virgil van Dijk, should be mentioned. Um, and Sammy Hippie. Um he scores 14 goals in 18 games and really sort of announces himself to mainland Europe. Real Sociedad snap him up. And he had two really good seasons, but last season was a drop-off. So he went 16 in 45 and 17 in 44 in all competitions. But last season, he only managed 10 in 41 and only 6 in 32 in the league. The lack of goals is a little bit of a concern. Now, he's obviously very young. He's only 22. He'll be 23 in September. But you would surely like to see a little bit more of a track record of scoring consistently to pay out that type of money. Uh, yes, and well, yes, you would because a very, very low goals tally last season. To be honest, um, I like Isak. I think he's a very good player. I have reservations over him <clears throat> at the very, very highest of level, which are mostly out of simply my preference of what I like my forwards to do. That's not really about what he can or can't do. To be honest, um, I like my forwards to be very, very aggressive. I like my forwards to be. 
gnarly and horrible if they need to be. But overall, I just like them to be aggressive, like on and off the ball. Um, very, very much either in defenders' faces or not really giving them the opportunity to, to play. I like them to always be on the front foot in terms of their own movement. And I find Isak a little bit passive. I really do. He's He's a big guy and he's... Quite strong, but quite clearly in his off-field mannerisms. I've you know, done a couple of interviews with him. He's he's very very laid back, and I think that well, that's not that's absolutely fine. Obviously, in a, in a non-football sense, on the pitch, I find him exactly the same. I find him a little bit too reactionary at times. He, I don't think he always makes the runs before the pass is made. For example, I don't I don't think that as soon as a particular player gets on the ball, he's already making that run, which he should be doing sometimes. Um, Part of this is because he's not really a nine. He is a bit of everything. He, he can play as a 10 and a slightly deeper forward. He can play as a, a slightly wider forward as well. So he's probably had such a, mish, a mishmash of upbringing, let's say, in his coaching, that there is not just that natural inclination to do something all the time, which is super aggressive and super focused on getting into goal-scoring positions and that. I mean, he's a really good ball carrier. He's really, really good one-in-one situations. He's really quick, but you don't see either of these traits every single game. His finishing needs improving. That, that's that's fine to say. He does uh, have to get better at that. Um, but he can shoot with both feet. He's relatively good in the air. His passing and, and build-up play is all pretty good. Last season, I think, was a bit of a combination of a few injuries, which he took a bit of time to get back from. And also the fact that I don't find... Andrea Sossi there. They're, they're a nice team to watch. They're quite good and fun this season at the start of the campaign as well. But I don't always think that they're very, very offensive-minded in terms of getting people into really good attacking areas and numbers in the final third and all that kind of thing. So that also impacts on him and the number of goals that he scored and the number of goals he was able to score last season. He still probably should have done better than he did. But um, I do think that that season played out again. He probably gets more than that. He has the exact same minutes and the exact same chances. Um, it was a little bit of everything all at once, to be honest. So I do, I do think that he's a really good addition for them, for where they are right now. But, I, I mean, I've already seen lots and lots of people who should know better going really, really over the top and saying that, you know, this is the one, like, I don't know, when Man City signed Aguero when he was still pretty young from Atletico Madrid and all that kind of thing. It's not. It's not the same as that at all. He's, he's a good couple of levels to go before he is of that standing, in my opinion. Um Newcastle already played a 4-2-3-1 or something like that, for example, I could see this being a move where he replaces the 10 and they basically play a more established 4-4-2, basically. They get him a little bit closer to Callum Wilson. But like I say, he will probably play all the way across that front line because Wilson's not fit enough, so he will play as the 9. But then you'll see him drop deep at times and try to pick up the ball. And that is in turn going to enforce almost that those wider forwards that they have make much more regular runs into uh, the central attack and zones, which Wilson normally does for them. Almiron doesn't do that. Almiron comes deep. So Maximan stays wide and then attacks from there when he has the ball. So it is probably going to be a bit of a sticky period in the beginning to try and get him to adapt uh, or to have the team adapt to him. I think maybe we'll see a bit more benefit from Isak for Newcastle when he starts wider and maybe comes in field as the second forward from that point onwards. But I'm not really sure... Playing right side forward suits him as much, but obviously Sir Maximan has to play left because that's where you get everything from him. And also for the fullback situation, I would much rather Trippier going on the outside of Isak than I would Dan Byrne. Yeah, plus if you have 
sort of Dan Byrne on one side and Isak on the other. You do have height on both sides. It's an interesting thing. Like, you'd wonder how comfortable he'll be if he's forced to play, if he's forced to play wide. I, I, I do wonder if Eddie Howe will move to some sort of 4-4-2. Played a 4-4-2 quite a lot when he was at Bournemouth. And maybe, you know, he could play, say, Joe Willock on the right as a, you know, a, a narrow right with Trippier overlapping him and St. Maximum on the left. And then play Isak sort of through the middle just off Wilson. Jolington and Gamerish isn't an ideal midfield too, but I think the two of them can make it work. And they'll clearly be looking to add more players in time. Look, I think he's got an enormous amount of talent. And I do think there is a world in which everything clicks for him and he becomes of the sort of the non-alien group, so not Haaland, not Mbappe, of the Darwin, Osman, Vlahovic, that sort of group. I do think there's a world in which Isak becomes the best of them. But I also think he's the one most likely to flop of that group. And and flop is a, is a, a rough word, but you know, the one who maybe just turns out to be a good player rather than a great player. Because with all the others, their path to being the best version of themselves just looks a lot clearer to me. Like you can see what they need to do and how they're going to go about doing it and how they fit into the teams that they play for. Whereas with him, because he's got such a wide-ranging skill set, it just seems like it'll be harder for him to maximize everything he can be, or at least to me anyway. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I do think that he's got a lot of traits, but nothing... I don't think that there's anything he does 10 out of 10 at this point. Whereas if you took Simeon, for example, I would say 10 out of 10 for him in terms of not you know world level, but in terms of what he does as good as he's going to do already at this point, I would say that is um, his harassing of defenders constantly. I would say that is his nonstop fighting. I would say that is his hold up play. All of those things are probably as good as they're going to get already. And he does them exceptionally well. I think Isak has areas where he can improve nearly everything in his game, to be honest. And that's a scary prospect, but I'm not 100% convinced that he has the... um, Not even the mentality to do it. It is just maybe just the personality. I'm not really sure. Um, It's just something in his game which I've seen since a teenager when he was first coming through at international level in Germany, but most of all in Spain, because that's where he's obviously had his, his best run. And I think it's been really beneficial for him, I have to say, being in one team for a long time, because before that it was like a change every year and sometimes more than one change. So he's definitely improved from where he was before, obviously. But I want more from him. That's all I can say. Every time I see him play, he might do something really incredible in the game, but then he doesn't repeat it enough. And I always end up left leaving a bit more, or wanting a bit more from him. Um, it's like, you are capable of beating this team, this defence that I can see in front of you. 
And I don't see that you're breaking every bone in your body to do it, basically. Mm. I, I Like I say, it's it's mostly a perception of what I prefer to see in my forwards. And like, let's put Luis Suarez as the top of that. Like, There's nobody else like Luis Suarez ever. Like, as much as we love Salah and all the rest of it, Suarez is what I look for in a forward. Maybe a bit less biting and that sort of thing, but basically yeah. in what he does in terms of his on-the-ball and off-the-ball stuff, that's what I like for a forward. So when I see people are capable of doing this, and when I see Isak is capable of doing something like that on occasion, it very, very much leaves me frustrated when I don't see him do it more often. That's that's how I feel about Isak. The one thing I would say is I think Eddie Howe is a really good coach. Yep, Eddie Howe and his coaches are very good coaches at developing players. That's what I think um, when they're younger and when they're technical players and when they are... Um, not the finished article, let's say. It doesn't work all the time, and obviously we know some of the examples that we can point to. But in general, I think that he has become a good coach. And as long as there is somebody in that group of coaches who are quite forceful, because Eddie Howe and the assistant Tyndall, who looks exactly the same as Eddie Howe, they seem to be very, very nice. Now, we often hear, like, behind the scenes, they have a mean streak and a ruthless streak and all that kind of thing. But I don't know. I've, I've never seen it in action, obviously. I think Isak might need that. So I hope that there is someone there for his sake. And I also hope that they don't have any kind of input into his training before this week's game whatsoever. It sort of reminds me, like, if you think back to the mid-90s, when the kind of amazing crop of English forwards appeared. And you obviously had Shearer, who was a little bit older, and just he was like the Haaland of his time, pace, strength, didn't have Haaland's height, but was unbelievable in the air and just scored goals for fun. Then you had like you had Les Ferdinand, you had Teddy Sheringham, you had Andy Cole, you had Robbie Fowler, but the most talented of that group, and I think all of all of them from that era would agree, the most talented of that group was Stan Collymore. And all of those other strikers had like four things that they were great at or that they could be great at. There were like four main parts to their game. Whereas Collymore had like eight or nine parts to his game, eight or nine different things that he could bring to a team. And while those those four sort of worked on their things and, and maybe they had like two attributes where they were 10 out of 10 and two others where they were 9 out of 10, Collymore could have been like eight and nines across the board. So he might have not had sort of one where he, he wasn't as good in the air as Les Ferdinand or he didn't have the penalty box instincts of Andy Cole or the finishing of Fowler or the link play of Sheringham. He wasn't on their level in those areas, but he was a level below them and had a more wide-ranging skill set. Now, obviously, Stan had his mental health issues and different things that, you know, there's no real way to, there's no real way for him to know that's going to affect his career in the way it did. There's no real way for clubs buying him to know that it's going to affect his career in the way that it did. But Isak reminds me a bit of Collymore. Like, he doesn't have Collymore's strength, but he's got that height, that dribbling ability, that pace, that power, and that wide-ranging skill set. But, and I, I do just wonder if it's almost 
if it's almost overcomplicated things for him, where he hasn't just been able to focus in on, like you said, with a Simeon, his pressing, his running the channels, his hold-up play, and the way he attacks the ball. Like, you watch a cross into the box anywhere near a Simeon and watch him attack that ball. Whereas with Isak, you don't get that. But he, he also doesn't have that that pressing ability or that hold-up. Well, his hold-up and link play, to be fair, are very good. They're not quite as good as um, as a Simeon. But, like, he's a much better dribbler than a Simeon. He's a better passer than a Simeon. He shoots better from distance than a Simeon does. Like his channel work is really good, too. Yeah, exactly. Do you know, and, and, like, he's more competent in a front two than a Simeon is. So... You know, he can have that partnership. So I do just wonder if maybe he's just got almost too many things that he can, he can do. And there's just not enough time to put in the work across all of them. Whereas for Simeon, it's like, right, these are my four things and this is what I'm going to work on. And I'm going to maximize myself in all of these areas. And if there are areas of my game that don't develop, that's fine. We just we won't worry about them. We're just going to focus in on these things that I do really, really well. Which again, you look at Les Ferdinand; he didn't have half the talent that Stan Collymore had, but was a better player and a more effective player than Stan because he just worked on what he, what he, what were his strengths. Whereas Collymore had, Collymore could do everything, and unfortunately, there just wasn't the development across the board that you would have liked. Yeah, I think that's fair. And that's, uh, that's what I say. I think, you know, environment and, and coaching has obviously progressed a, a huge amount since, since the days of Collymore and the, the other crop that you have there. So it is, I think, in, pretty much on Newcastle now because they've said and make a, made a bit of a big deal about... Um, being like their early target, but they didn't think that the deal was, you know, there to be done initially, and then the price was too high for them, and eventually they've got the deal done. So I think that because they've put so much emphasis on this deal and this being their number nine that they wanted now, now and for the future, obviously, it's on them now to develop him in the right way. You know, if he if he doesn't live up to expectations, if he doesn't progress his game to be the exact type of nine that they want him to be, that's on them now. Um, they they kind of bringing in people this early on in what is clearly going to be a big and long-term project is a great thing as long as you have the plan in place to to put everything in to make those players effective. Um, it's early enough that Isak can be, I mean, early enough in Isak's career that he can be whatever forward they want him to be. You know, if they if they know that they want to play in a, a two-man forward system in future, they want him to be the second forward, they can still get the most out of him in that regard. If they want him to be an inside forward, can do that with him. And if they want him to be the main number nine and take over from Wilson by the end of the season or something like that, you've got a lot to do, but you can work with him right now. But you've, they've already got to have the plans in place of how they're going to set about extracting the very best of him because there's so much to work with there. There's, that's unquestionable. But there's a few steps to go before you get there for him. Um, at the moment, definitely. For, for what he's done so far, what we've seen, not what he could do, but what we've actually seen I wouldn't have paid this much for him, I'll be honest. I do think he's a really good player. 
they are paying for what they might be able to get out of him. Mm. Which is obviously what we've done with Darwin, is what most teams do with any player under the age of 24. Let's let's be clear about yeah. that. That's not a and it's what selling clubs do as well. Yeah, They're not selling absolutely. what they own. They're selling the promise of what he could be down yeah, the line. Exactly. That's, that, this is not like a Newcastle of overpaid sort of thing. You always have to do this if you're buying a player of 24 or under. Um, so it's not a, a surprise or something they've done wrong, but it ups the importance of them getting it right with him. Yeah, and I do wonder if Howe just sort of sees him as, <laughs> as like a Josh King, but obviously with, you know, much higher potential. If you think of Bournemouth under Howe, it was, it was Wilson with Josh King just off him. And... Josh King is is an, an okay footballer, but there are similarities to his game and Isaac's game. Um, so I, I do just I do just wonder if long term that's sort of the plan. We'll play those two, St. Maximin. Well, m- medium term. I don't think Eddie Howe should be making any long term plans at Newcastle contract extension or not. Uh, he's one poor run of games away from uh, from a phone call that alters where he lives for the, the foreseeable future. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, they have overpaid, but for them, it's probably a risk worth taking. You know, if, if they oh, do yeah, have all absolutely. the money in the world, then it, one failure won't, won't knock them off their stride. What we should give them credit for is they have been so much more sensible with their money than City were when Abu Dhabi bought the club or than Chelsea were in that first season when Roman bought the club. Um, Everything with Newcastle thus far has been quite measured, quite purposeful, and you can see how the pieces are sort of meant to fit together. So I think think fair play. what are we expecting then this weekend from them? We, as you, we said, no Shelby, no Wilson, no Gamerish, no Emil Kraft, who's out for, I think, six or seven months. Uh, St. Maximum is a doubt, and Kieran Trippier is a doubt. It remains to be seen if Isak is ready to play. Um, he didn't get, obviously, international clearance to play at the weekend. Will it come through in time? Will he be ready to play? It, it, it's it's up in the air at the moment. Um, if he's out, or let, let's actually let's just say he's fit and Trippier's fit, because otherwise it, it's just too many players out. Trippier oh. should be okay. I've just uh, literally read Howe's talk from uh, half an hour ago, so he says uh, Trippier should be fine. Okay, so Pope and Gold, Trippier right back, Dan Byrne left back, Shower and Botman. There's no reason for them to change that defence. It's working for them. Um, the midfield, though, then is likely to be uh, the Joe Twins, Willock, and Linton with... The Longstaff is the only available kind of six that they have. Um, and then... Up he, was front... right. he was okay yeah. against uh, Wolves. Oh, yeah, he did fine. Oh, he did yeah, absolutely he's... fine against Wolves. 
obviously a much more um, functional, shall we say, midfielder than uh, Guimaraes is when he's been playing in the in the six role. And I think Guimaraes moving back into the six instead of as an eight last season as he was is quite an interesting move as well, uh, which maybe hints at them feeling that they are now good enough to play football rather than sort of stop first mm. and then play afterwards. You know, that's that's quite an interesting little uh, internal shift, I think. Yeah, and it shows confidence. I mean, to, mm-hmm. to do it, you know, to do it against uh, Nottingham Forest or, or Brighton or even Wolves is one thing, but they did it against City. Yeah, like, to go out against, yeah, to go out against City and say, we don't just think we're here to make up the numbers. We're actually going to take this game to you and then go and do it. It's really, really impressive. They obviously ran out of, out of steam a little bit, but, you know, I, I thought it was I thought it was good to see. And it's one of the things that concerns me about tomorrow night, though, without St. Maximin and without Wilson and without Gamerish, obviously it's a very different, uh, a different mm-hmm. proposal from them. So up front, I'm thinking Almiron... Wood and Isak as a three, maybe? So I don't think Isak would start, even if he is available, to be honest. Um, they've had minimal training sessions with him. Obviously, I'm not sure what exact fitness level he'd be at, but it would be a surprise, I think, if he's thrown straight in. So I would imagine Fraser comes in from the start. But Murphy Fraser is, or, or yeah, Murphy is Murphy, going to yeah. Fraser, um, I, if he's available, basically all they need is the paperwork done. And he is, Eddie Howe's just confirmed, basically, if he gets the paperwork, if he gets the you know the stamp of approval to be able to live and work in this lovely country, then 75 minutes before kickoff is the cutoff point for that. So he's going to travel. He'll be Anfield for the game one way or another. And if they get it all done before 70-minute cutoff point, he'll be in the squad. I would imagine that that would just be an off-the-bench sort of thing. But we'll see. The only thing that I would say from that front line is, I mean, Chris Wood, I'm not like a huge fan of anyway. He's okay, but he is pretty much as a... Excuse me. <laughs> Sneeze came out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, talking about Chris Wood and allergic to him, obviously, and that type of forward after I've been discussing what I do like in a centre forward. The only thing I would say is that Armidon and Smaxman have obviously been... Um, playing as inside forwards and, and lots of buzzing around Callum Wilson and that, it would almost be worthwhile swapping them flanks and playing them as almost old wingers so that they're an outlet with channel yeah. running and everything, but able to cross on their favourite foot for Wood because he's not going to be the same type of running in behind. He's not going to be the same type of link player uh, dropping and then spinning off and running in as when Wilson is playing, obviously. So maybe not for the full game or, you know, from first minute till the 45th, but... In game, there might be some opportunities for them to to have those wide forwards switch over and just provide a little bit more ammunition for Wood. Let's say, yeah, I think that's not a bad shout at all because look, Chris Wood, he is a he's a hard working player and he's a decent player at the Premier League level. There's no doubt. I mean, you, you don't you don't knock around the Premier League as long as he has. You don't have four consecutive seasons of double figures goals without having a little bit of something about you. So he is a decent player and, and shouldn't be forgotten that he isn't, that he, that's what he is. Um, but he's, he's limited in what he can and can't do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, getting wingers on their natural foot who can cross to him and cross early and give him the opportunity to attack balls in the air, I think that does make sense. 
Fraser's um, a really good crosser, actually. I mean, in general, Fraser's I'm not a, a great huge crosser. fan of yeah, crossing in general, unless you're very, very good at it, is, is a bit of a waste, in my opinion, a lot of the time. But Fraser is one of those who's really good at it. He is, and so is Kieran Trippier. So if they have those two maybe on the right-hand side, and they have both crossing options, say Fraser from sort of a bit higher up, and Trippier with crosses from a bit deeper, um, that could be could be a decent route for them. You'll get Almiron is not a great crosser, but what he does really well is he does, when he plays on the left, he does whip a ball in behind the defence into the old corridor of uncertainty quite well. And Wood does have that sort of long-legged nature of getting a foot to things. So those could be decent outlets. And if you're playing Almiron on one side, you've got Dan Byrne as a defensive presence behind him. So you don't really need to worry too much about Almiron tracking back as much. You can let him play that bit higher up and try and exploit that space in behind Trent. Um, So that's enough on Newcastle. What about the Reds then? Coming off a 9-0 victory, is there any real reason to change the team? Um, Obviously, you'd rather change the left-sided midfield role because it's just it's not the role for Henderson. Um, but there's no one else unless you're going to play Milner. Um, the only reason I can think to change the starting eleven, to be completely honest, is if Harvey Elliott has a little miniature niggle and they want to be careful. And then I think you just play Carvalho instead of him. Yeah, I agree. Unless there's any injuries, then after a 9-0, I think it's fine to keep the same team, isn't it? It's it's not going to pan out the same way, and it's not going to be the same type of game, but those players did really, really well in the first half. They produced the reaction that we needed. Uh, it would be unusual, let's say, to make too many changes from that. And, you know, we, we know that there's going to be changes coming in the future because we're going to have game after game after game after game after this point. Uh, this is the, the start of the run, isn't it? Basically through to the international break. So changes will be have to made. I'm hopeful that this is the first, that, that, sorry, the last game that we're going to have an entire team out for. Uh, Cueve might be back in with us, but if he's not, then you know it literally is one to eleven that we've got out and unavailable, injured, suspended, or otherwise uh, for for at least one of those names. Um, I don't see any reason to change it. I think I think you go with exactly as it was. You know, you've got what, one, two, three subs who can impact things in different ways and impact might be a bit strong for some of them, but Carvalho, Milner, Tsimikas are the three seniors now apparently who are available for us to turn to first and then obviously the match itself will dictate what subs are needed thereafter if we even have any of them. Yes, yeah, so we've seen that Curtis Jones and Joel Matip are back in training. Whether or not they're ready to take part in a game, I would doubt. I would imagine it'd be more the weekend that they'd be looking at those guys. Um, Klopp said Thiago is not far away, which is a little bit surprising, considering when he was initially ruled out, it was for kind of six to eight weeks, and it's only been four. So it's a little bit surprising that Thiago might be back anytime soon. Jota is close to return. Queeving is apparently close to return. And obviously, this is the third game of Darwin's three-game ban. So, the hope would be that by Everton at the weekend, 
that 11 player absentee list is down to maybe, and that's including Harvey at the moment, is down to maybe four Ox, Ebu, Nabi, and Ramsey. Uh, I think Ramsey is actually back in training as well, but it's it's going to be probably a a slower path for him because he's missed all of preseason and all of the season so far. So I'd imagine they'll be taking it very you know calmly with him and and trying to build him up as we go. Um, but yeah, I mean we're getting good news on the on the injury front. Uh, I still have my fingers crossed, though more out of habit than expectation that something will happen. In the transfer market, I note that today, um, Borussia Mönchengladbach have agreed a deal for Julian Vagel, which could potentially free up uh, Quadio Kone, or Manu Kone is, is what, what people call him, what he goes by. Uh, he would be exceptional. I don't know if you saw the Borussia Mönchengladbach-Bayern Munich game at the weekend, but he was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, I have not seen any Bundesliga action this week, uh, sorry, this season other than the first weekend so far. So, nope. But last year, I think we mentioned him a couple of times, he was mm. one of my picks for, for a possible alternative when the Chiuameni thing did not happen in the end. So, I would be definitely open to that. Yeah. Right then, is there, do we just do predictions and get out of here nice and early? Is there anything else you want to chat about? No, I think, to be honest, we're going to do a, a big Champions League look before the first game um, around all the other groups and everything as well. So I think we, uh, we've overrun a few of them recently. I think we should give Guy a nice little uh, early early finish this time around. Cool. Radio then. Give me a prediction. 3-2 to Liverpool. I think this is going to be a bit of a crazy game. Ooh. Um, I'll go 2-1 to Liverpool. I'll go two one. I just, I just hope that uh, this isn't Crystal Palace all over again, where you know we used up all our goals in one game and then struggled to score for a few weeks. But I'll go two one. I, I think we should win this game. They're missing their, I would say, the three best players out of their, you know, midfield and attacking: Gamerish, Simaximin, and uh, and Wilson. So. I think it's going to be more straightforward for us than it was for than it was for City. Uh, right, the old Gimerson to Maximan are big, big losses for them. I have to say. Yeah, I mean they're they're Gimerson. I think I'm not sure outside of City that there's a team in the league he doesn't start for. And if Saint Maximan could play the way he played against Newcastle on a regular basis, or against City rather on a regular basis. I mean, he might be the best player in the world if he could do that regularly because it was ludicrous. Just he, he, he absolutely destroyed Kyle Walker and John Stones all by himself. It was, it was actually, it was almost tantamount to bullying what he did to them. Um, do you have anything coming out that you want people to be aware of? We have a big uh, transfers piece this week coming out on American players coming over to Europe. And I think I'll have a, a weekend European piece as well, but we're quite a lot of games away from that at the moment. So let's wait and see. Yeah. Check out Carl's work on The Independent. And this is Anfield. Follow him on Twitter at Carl Matchett for all the relevant links. 
Follow Guy Drinkle at Guy Drinkle. Don't follow me. It's not worth the hassle. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.